Uh, you picked a great day to be in the house of God. I'm excited. We started a brand new sermon series last week. Who was here last week? Good, all those hands. Thank you for coming back. Must not have scared you off. Amen. Uh, if you came last week, we started off and kicked off a brand new sermon series titled The Value of One. Y'all say that with me? The Value of One. And so if you didn't know, did you guys know that Easter is only three weeks away? Somebody say yikes. Yikes. Put that in the chat today. Capital Y-I-K-E-S. Yikes. And so I'm real excited because as we, as we open up the scriptures and open up God's word, we have to see, especially God's always wanting to do amazing things in and through our lives every single day, but particularly at Easter, people are more prone to maybe go to church, check out a church. And so I really feel like this, this, this message that is going to lead us up until Easter is really a primer. Do y'all know what that means, a primer? God wants us to get ready. Somebody say ready for what God wants to do on Easter Sunday. And so I want to ask you to join me and Pastor Keith and Kelly and Pastor Jessica in prayer and expectancy to see these seats filled at both campuses, to see hungry, anybody ever been hungry before? Hungry, hurting, desperate people. People are hungry and desperate for truth. And I hope and pray, and we want you to join us in prayer and hope and pray that they come to church. Amen. And we have to see the value of one. We've been talking about the parable of the lost sheep. We're going to talk about the parable of the lost coin today. And we have to see the value in every single person, no matter if you're born again, if you're lost, if you were born again and fell. You know, everybody, every single person falls. The Bible says the righteous fall seven times and get up eight. And so it says in the Bible that God created man and woman in the image of God he created them. There's inherent value in every single person. And so as we see our world today, and if you pay attention to the news, does anybody watch the news, listen to the news? It's full of bad news <laughs> because the world has gone crazy and it can't surprise us. But if you pay attention to that, you got to be careful because you can find yourself in a, in a hopeless place and so the Lord was just reminding me and challenging me as I'm praying for Easter and, and praying for our church and just doing my, my faith every day. You know what? I don't have to do God's job. It's not my job to do God's job. I can't do what God can do. All I can do is what God has called Ian to do. Can I get an amen? Stop trying to do his job and do what God's called you to do. But I have this tendency sometimes when I see how crazy the world is, get frustrated. I get angry. I get mad. How could they be thinking these things? How can they be doing these things? And the Lord just reminded me, you know what? It's not your job to save the whole world all at once. All you got to do is focus and, and pray for one. Are you tracking with me? One person at a time. One family at a time. I know it's corny, but how do you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. How do we grow the kingdom of God? One soul at a time, one person at a time. And you got to know and recognize that God is obsessed. I said obsessed with souls, with people, especially lost ones, especially lost ones. So what we're going to do is we're going to open up the Bible. If you brought it, who brought your Bible? I hope you brought your Bible to church. Open it to Luke chapter 15. So we're going to resume where we started last week. As we kick this off, I, I, I actually challenge you guys to read the whole chapter of Luke 15 last week. Who did that? Not a single person. All right, we're canceling church. Y'all dismissed. Amen. Y'all go home and read it this week. 
is powerful. But what I love about chapter 11 and, and or chapter 15, excuse me, and Luke is it's almost not it's almost all red letters, 98% red letters. Other than the first two verses, it's Jesus speaking. That's what red letters are, right? I love the red letters because they just hit different, right? You know what I'm talking about? Those red letters that cut us to our core. They, 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 the message drills deeper into our hearts. And so, but I never noticed this in Luke chapter 15. The part you're mainly going to recognize is the parable of the prodigal son. Who's ever heard of that? Prodigal of the lost son. The, the par- uh, prodigal son who was lost and came back. Excuse me, but in the beginning, of the, I never noticed. We read it last week, and if you missed last week's message, or today's your first Sunday with us, you can catch up really easy. We're not going to have a lot of recap. You can watch that online or on our church app. But at the beginning of, 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 of chapter 15, Jesus is literally speaking to the Pharisees and religious leaders of the day because they are judging and condemning Jesus for the company that he's keeping. He's hanging out with lost people. And after the first two verses, everything that Jesus says is in direct response to what those Pharisees were thinking and saying. And so I never noticed this. The the first thing he says is the parable of the lost sheep, the, the shepherd that leaves the 99 for the one. And we talked about that all last week. It was powerful. And today, and then right after that, he goes right into the parable of the lost coin, which we're going to talk about today. And then next week, we're going to talk about the parable of the prodigal son. But you got to see, in all three of those parables, there's a value in one. There's a message that Jesus is trying to get us to see and hear. So let's, let's read it together. Look what it says there. We're going to give you two verses today because it's very quick. The parable of the lost coin is very short, but look what it says. It says, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. There's that word, one. We're talking about the value of one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call on her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels even when one sinner repents. There is joy in heavenly places and spaces, it says, when one sinner repents, returns to the high place that God has for them. Jesus, in the first parable, in the first seven verses of Luke 15, he talks about the parable of the lost sheep, that the the shepherd leaves the 99 for the one. And today we see that Jesus talks about the parable of the lost coin, that just as a woman who has 10 coins, if she loses one, won't she do whatever she can to find that one coin? If I said you had 10 $100 bills, and you lost one of those $100 bills in your house, I can guarantee you that you would turn that house upside down and backwards to try and find that $100 bill. Am I lying? No, right? I said, God is obsessed with souls, lost people. He'll do whatever he can to find them. And today, I guess, we are part of the quote-unquote, 99 sheep, right? You have came to seek God today, to listen and hear truth, and to pursue God. I hope that's why you're here. But look, we have some empty seats in here, don't we? God is thankful for you that you are here. But you got to know, the same God that's thankful that you're here, His heart is grieved that there are people not here. There's somebody that's waking up from a hangover right now. 
There's somebody that's strung out on drugs. There's somebody that's strung out on meth. Fill in the blank. Somebody dying right now. Lost. Separated. Apart from God. And we have to be just as obsessed with that fact as God is. What would happen, church, if we were just as obsessed with souls as we were with the people, places, and things? If we were just as obsessed with lost souls as we are about our phones and our social media accounts and our streaming services, and our fancy cars, and clothes, and homes. Because I guarantee you, if you lost this today, you would turn your house upside down. You'd be looking under cushions. You'd be looking under couches. You'd be looking in cracks and crevices. And you'd be looking in dark spaces looking for your phone. When is the last time you turned over some tables for somebody that was hurting, broken, Lost, confused. Because church, that's the type of church our God wants. One that doesn't stand off from afar and says, I got my fire insurance. I'm good. God wants us to build a bridge for those that are lost, broken, and hurting, right? Look at that first point for today. So it says, in this parable, Jesus describes lost people as a lost coin. In each parable, he reinforces the idea that one soul, one life, literally every person matters to God. If they matter to God, they should matter to us. Do you believe that you matter to God? Anybody today? That's okay. That's not a prideful statement. That's a confidence of boldness. You matter to God. Why do you know that you matter to God? Because you know the truth. And because you matter, guess what? That means your neighbor matters. Tell your neighbor you forgot one. You matter. You matter. Put that in the chat today. You matter. And because you know the truth that you matter, that means they matter. The difference is they don't know the truth. And we said last week, as we look at our lost world and confusing and, and how confusing it is and how confused people are, because we have so many things raising our kids. We have our kids growing up with YouTube raising them, with, with, with the indoctrination in the public school systems, with all sorts of things, leading people astray. And lost people generally don't know they're lost. Before Ian became a born-again Christian, before I turned from my sin, when I was lost in my addiction, when I was lost in my sin, I didn't know that I was lost. I had heard about Jesus. I knew who Jesus was, but I didn't know Jesus. Is that anybody? You didn't know you were lost. And so instead of being angry and butting heads with lost people, we have to see that maybe there's a big collective group of lost people that aren't necessarily purposely doing, purposefully doing evil or purposely hurting other people. They're just lost. Say that with me. Just lost. And if they're just lost and they don't know it, guess what that means for you and for me? We have to be clothed in compassion. We can't judge them. Now, is there evil people? You better believe it. 
Are there people out there purposely hurting other people? Yes, you better believe it. But what I'm saying is, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we have to approach those that the Holy Spirit helps us identify are just lost because they simply just grew up without. They didn't have godly parents. They didn't have a good home. Maybe they were, they were born, grown up and they were abused, sexually abused, physically abused. And they just, they're just lost and they need the love of God. If the Holy Spirit identifies those people in our lives, then we have to approach those people with a type of grace that says they know no better. And God wants to use you to shine a light in the darkness and to use you to help lead and guide and to impart truth and to impart hope, right? Because our world is full of people that are lost. I said last week, if you are in relationship with God, if you are a God seeker, who came to seek God today? I hope you came to meet with him today, not with me or with any other person here. I hope you came to meet with him. If you're a God seeker, guys, if, if we are a church that seeks God, we got to be people finders. you got to be obsessed with people the way God is obsessed with people. I would almost question if, if you say you're in a relationship with God and, and you're not purposefully, intentionally inviting people to church, telling other people what God's doing in your life, then there's something wrong. There's something off. You maybe have become lukewarm. You maybe have become stale, so to speak. And God wants to reignite that fire in our lives, especially as we're looking forward to Easter and what God wants to do on Resurrection Sunday, right? Look at that next point. I kind of got a little ahead of myself, and I was touching on this just a little bit already, but look what it says. It's it's a great thought. So lost coins aren't evil, right? Coins are just, they're inanimate objects, right? They're they're not bad. They're, They're just lost. A coin represents an inanimate object that doesn't have a will of its own. A coin is controlled by the choices and decisions of others. So Jesus was using the parable of the lost coin, comparing it to a lost person. Now, a coin doesn't have any say in where it goes, but guess what? A coin, money, it travels a whole lot. How does it get to where it goes? By people, by the choices and decisions of others. So maybe there's something Jesus wants us to see. Now, we're all accountable to our lives, and we're all accountable to the choices that we make or don't make, but if you're really lost and you're just being led by Whatever, by your flesh, by your evil desires, and you know no different. You are literally being, you're just like that lost coin. You're just bouncing around, being traded for this, for that. You're wandering, being lost. And so if people are doing that same thing that the, uh, the ability of a lost coin has the ability to do, which is find itself lost, just wandering, being used, being traded, being discarded, then there's something major God would like for His church to intervene. And so something that becomes lost, guess what? It stays that way until somebody finds it. Has anybody ever lost anything? Right? Lost your phone, lost your keys, lost whatever. It's going to stay that way until you find it. Many lost people will stay lost until somebody finds them. And we need to have that compassion and we need to have that love that doesn't stand by and judge them, but comes alongside them. And I said, I'm a prodigal son. Any other prodigal sons or daughters here today? Don't be shy. I'm thankful that I I woke up in my pigsty, but here's the sad fact. 
a lot of people don't make it there. What if Ian would have overdosed or died or committed suicide, which I had some suicidal thoughts. Before I had that holy moment, That happens every day. People don't make it to that place where they wake up. Guys, you know, we don't need a wokeness. We need a spiritual awakening in our world. And we have the power, the church has that power. As long as we're preaching truth about the gospel of Jesus is. Jesus in the New Testament says 67 times, I tell you the truth. In John 14, 6, he said, I am the way and the and the life, can we believe them? We can believe them, we know, right? So God wants us to share that truth with others. Look at that next point. So if we see some people aren't evil, that they're just lost, we have to see they're lost and there may be reasons behind that, right? So our world is filled with lost people, I'm going to say coins and quotation marks, who are abused, wounded, rejected, manipulated like a lost coin. They were mishandled, I love that, mishandled. Think of that, mishandled by people that God entrusted them to take care of them. Jesus cares for the broken and hurting, and he commands us to pray. Seeing that people are lost, we also have to see that they're spiritually blind and they're spiritually sick. Our world is the ways that it is because everyone is, not everyone, but a lot of people are spiritually sick. And everyone's spiritually sick because everyone's been mishandled. Hurt people hurting people. Abused people abusing people. Cutting people down with their words instead of lifting people up with their words. Not declaring the word over other people. The world has mishandled many people. And so as we approach these types of people, and we're going to talk about prayer here in a moment, has we want to invite you to to commit to praying for the lost for the next 21 days up until Easter. is we, if, if they've been hurt, if they've been misused, if they've been mishandled, that means we have to handle them, their, their soul. If God's going to entrust us with their soul, then we have to handle them with care. We have to handle them gently. Who enjoys a little Amazon? Some of y'all getting like 10, 12 boxes a day at your house. If you, if you order anything that's fragile, right? What does it say on the box? Handle gently. Handle with care. And so if these folks are lost and they've, they've been hurt, they're, they're fragile. They're fragile. They don't know all the answers. They don't know everything that you know. Are they going to fall? Yes. Are they going to mess up? Yes. Are they going to miss it? Yes. And so you have to handle them with greater care. Do you see that? When you was a baby, you didn't know nothing. I got two of them. Xander and Bodie. And Xander's learning more and more and more. But we still have to handle him gently with care. He's a baby. And Bodie, we have to handle him with what? Even more care because he's not as far as along. Our, our life of faith is no different. You've been living for Jesus for 10 years. You've been living for Jesus for five years. I don't know. You fill in the blank. You can't expect somebody who just comes to Christ to just get it. 
What is it? Don't forget where you came from. Right? Where you started. Ian started in a pigsty with nothing. You've heard the story with nothing. And now just because I'm, I'm married, got two kids, a mortgage, a couple cars, decent job, I can't forget where I came from. Compassion. We have to be moved and motivated, not just by love, but by compassion. I want to read Matthew 9, 9 through 13. And actually, we were in Matthew 9 last week, if you were here. As I'm talking about being moved with compassion, Jesus talked about seeing the crowds and the people. And he was moved with compassion, it says, because he recognized that they were lost and hopeless like sheep without a shepherd. So that same type of compassion is the compassion that God calls us to. As we pray for the lost and love on the lost and help the lost. right? But look, this is a few verses above that scripture I just gave you. But look there, verse 9. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in his tax collector's booth. And he said, follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Can I stop there for a moment and preach? This may be a different message for a different day. But this is the type of faith that we need as a church. This is the type of faith that you need every single day. Jesus said, Matthew, get up. Somebody say, get up. And follow me. Somebody say, follow me. He said, get up and follow me. And what did Matthew do? He didn't say, wait, Jesus, where are we going? He didn't say, hey, Jesus, that sounds cool, but let me pray about that. Y'all ain't never done that, have you? It may sound spiritual. I'm going to pray about that, God. Do you really want me to do that? We need to get up and follow. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you in your life, you need to listen, be submissive, and obey. How cool is it if God is speaking directly to you? Think of that. He's speaking to you, and you're saying, ah, let's hold on a second. Let me think about that. The king of kings is saying, hey, I want you to do that. And you're saying, I'm not ready. I'm not equipped. I'm too nervous. I can't do that. What if he eventually just quits speaking to you? I don't know about you, but we used to have two dogs. We've upgraded the kids now. <laughs> and uh, I like an obedient dog. You can do so much more with an obedient dog. Same with children. <laughs> like my children obedient. I'm working on that. But God is no different. He uses obedient children. That was for free. Look at verse 10. It says, Later Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why do you, does your teacher eat with such scum, such sinners, such evildoers? They don't know the scriptures. They don't, got, they don't got the answers. They don't know what they're doing. Such scum. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy Say that word with me. Mercy. Put that in the chat if you're watching with us today. Mercy. Not offer sacrifices. 
For I have come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know that they're sinners. Don't forget what God has done in your life. And if you never forget that fact, I guarantee you, you'll be thankful. You will be thankful, thankful. Nobody will be able to talk to you out, talk you out of your miracle of what God has done for your life, where God is taking you, what God is going to do, because you know that you were a sinner who's been saved by grace. Can I get an amen? Any sinners who've been saved by grace today in the house, you know how thankful, how thankful you think we are. Why? Because you didn't deserve what God did for you. Ian doesn't deserve to live the life that I'm living. I don't deserve to have two healthy baby boys and an amazing wife who's my best cheerleader, an amazing church that we love and care about, an amazing job that I have, the ability to, to go and do every single day. I don't deserve to live the life that I'm living but God, but Jesus. That same promise that happened in my life, that maybe happened in your life, is available to all sorts of people that are out there right now and have no idea with the goodness that God wants to do in their life. What if God wants to use you to help somebody else see that revelation, to hear that truth? Who has the faith to say yes? Like Isaiah, send me, Lord. I'll go. God said, whom shall I send? He said, me, send me. Who's got that type of faith today? Send me. Send me. Make that your prayer. Make that your cry. Watch God use you. That's a dangerous prayer. Send me, God. He'll send you. And he'll use you. Amen. To help. Others who need help. Look at that. That next point. Talk about prayer for a moment. We talked about this last week. This is actually the exact same point. That we gave you last week on prayer. Look what it says. It says, we pursue lost people through prayer. Prayer is our weapon of warfare that brings healing, breakthrough, and deliverance. Who believes in prayer? Amen. I hope you believe in the power of prayer. I love how that says prayer is our weapon. Weapon. When's the last time you thought of prayer as, as, as a weapon, something you can use? When I think of a weapon, you know what I think of? I think of violence. Now, we're to be clothed in humility, right? Right? In love and compassion. But did you know that through prayer, you can get dirty with the devil? You know what? When I pray, I pray violently sometimes. Is that just me? When the devil is attacking me or my family or my sanity or my mind or my life, I say, you know what? Shatter the teeth of the wicked, Lord. You know what? I pray fervently. And violently because you better know God's obsessed with souls, but guess who else is obsessed with souls? Who? The enemy, the devil. And guess what? He's pulled out all the stops to kill, steal, and destroy, John 10.10 says. So why would the church sit by on our hands in the comforts of our pews and our seats in silence and say, yeah, that's terrible. You need to be praying for the lost world. Do you do that? Are you all that you pray about? Are you all that you pray about? You know, you're supposed to graduate out of that. At the beginning, you pray a lot for yourself. 
Do you pray for the lost like you pray for your kids? The best thing you can do for your kids is to pray for the lost, but guess what? The lost is raising them. And if you believe in the power of prayer, why don't you use it like a weapon? Because statistics say the average Christian outside of themselves and their immediate family, they don't pray at all. And we wonder why the world the way, world the way it is. It's because the whole time the church has sat by in silence, in comfort, God wants to move us to a place. Prayer is always the starting place as we talk about helping the hurting. Inviting people to church. A lot of times when I tell people, or you hear me say, I want you to invite somebody to church, you immediately jump to all the big things, right? How am I going to do that? That might be awkward. I don't know enough verses. I don't want to have to preach and teach them. You don't have to do any of that. God does his job, and you do your job. All you need to do is pray for them. That's the starting place. Begin to pray for that person. And God does the rest. He opens up the divine doors and the opportunities. For big things to happen. Look at James 5, 16 through 20. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You know what I noticed in that verse this week? Who's ever heard that before? It doesn't say confess your sins to God. Now, do we do that? Of course, right? But the brother of Jesus, James, recognizes something. There's healing, there's power when we confess the things that we're going through to another person. God is a relational God. We want relation, he wants us in relationship with Him, and He wants us in relationship with the body. Right? So that you may be healed, it says. The earnest prayer, this is the hope, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power. There's that word, and produces wonderful results. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power, it says, and produces wonderful results. Pray for one another, it says, so that you may be healed. What if I told you that your prayer life has the ability to change someone else's life? Did you hear what I said? What if I told you that your prayer life, the condition of your prayer life, do you have a prayer life? Do you pray? But if you do pray and you pray fervently and you stand in the gap for those that you love and care about and those that are lost that you maybe don't even know, if you could pray fervently with passion and zeal and with love and compassion, you could literally transform their life. What if you say, well, Pastor Ian, what if I pray for like a whole day and nothing changes? We laugh, but that's how we are. I prayed for a whole week. Ain't nothing changed. They got worse. You will experience resistance, I promise you. Nine times out of ten, resistance is proof I'm on the right path, on the right road. And if you really love them that much, are you going to give up that easily? Are you going to give up that easily? God wants us to believe and pray and to have hope and to shine light in a darkness. What if I told you that your prayer life has the ability to change someone else's life? You say, what if I pray and, and nothing changes? I know my mom prayed for me for years before I changed. 
And you say, what if nothing changes? And I tell you, what if it does? What if it does? See, we got to live in what if. Because God is the God of impossible. It says he makes the impossible possible. What if God wants us to literally take that word impossible and pluck it from our vocabularies? Let's do that together today. Do this. Take your hands like this. Lord, we just pluck. Pluck. Say that with me. Pluck. Impossible. We pluck impossible, God, because you are the God of possibilities. The God of possibilities. If you came last week, we gave you a prayer card. If you came today, if you got your prayer card today or last week, wave it at me. Wave it at me. Make sure you're still awake. Thank you. Thank you. If you did not get a card, raise your hand up real high. Somebody find Corey, please. Tell him we need some prayer cards. Quick. Pete, can you do that for me? We're going to get you a card. So if you got your card, look at it. It says the value of one on the front. Our prayer scriptures that we're going to use as we pray. Right, we, just read, we just read John's... Lord, help me speak. I've been preaching since 8 o'clock this morning. <laughs> we already read James 5.16. There's Romans 14 through 15. Flip it over. And look, look what we got there. We got three lines. We want, the whole, we want you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you identify at least one person. But if you have three, even better. Three people that you know that are lost. You know what? That you are going to begin to, to war for. That you're going to begin to pray for. And circle them in prayer. Identify them and pray God's will and favor over them. And then on the week of Easter, we want you to invite those people to church for Easter Sunday. Amen. We want to take our faith. We start with prayer. And then we want to do something physical. We want our faith to manifest into something. And hey, you may pray for these people. And they may say no. That's okay. Does that mean you didn't pray hard enough? Does that mean that you missed God? Or does that mean God doesn't love you or God, love, God doesn't love them? No. It means just not now. And I would venture to say, don't give up on that person. If they do tell you no, don't stop praying. Right? It's, it's not a no, it's just not right now. And so I said last week, you know, I told Pastor Keith we should have rethought this a little bit because we're talking about the value of one, right? And then I don't ask you to write three names down. And I know how challenging that can be if you're praying for a lot of stuff. I get it. I pray for a lot of stuff. I pray for my family. I pray for my church, all of our seven pillars in our church. I pray for this. And so if you pray for a lot of stuff, you're like, man, you just added three more things. I say, but what if God wants you to put all your eggs in one basket and pray for one person? Now you don't have an excuse. So you pray about it. If you want to just, if you just want to devote everything into one lost person that the Lord's showing you, great. If you have three, great. But at the end of that, at the week up till Easter, we want you to invite those people as you've been praying and even fasting for those people. Amen. Sound good? Who's going to join me? Amen. Join me. Amen. So look at uh, look at that last point for today. So this is what I want you to leave with as we're talking about, talking about resistance and, and maybe things not going the way that, that you planned, right? You have faith and it doesn't go the way you planned. So lost people, lost coins, feel vulnerable, okay? Therefore, they're resistant, easily offended, and withdrawn. Laboring in prayer breaks the tormenting spirits off their minds, 
prayer opens, somebody say opens, their hearts and allows them to receive God's love. I said we got to handle lost people with great care, gently. They're already fragile. So just because, like I'm saying, it doesn't go the way that you're praying and thinking about doesn't mean God is still not working. Does that make sense? And for us to continue to labor in love and to labor in faith and labor in compassion. I feel like I've said that word a lot today, compassion. So when you, when you fervently pray for people like this, amazing things begin to happen. But what happens when you pray for somebody, when you stand in the gap for somebody, they don't even need to know you're praying for them. If you want to let them know, that's fine. But when you pray for somebody else, what do you do? You take their battles and you put them on your back. When you pray for somebody, you take their struggles and you put them on your back. They're not strong enough to keep fighting. What do you do? You take your strength and you put and you put that on your back. You say, I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep believing, right? They're living in doubt. They're depressed. They're discouraged. What are you doing? You're declaring hope and favor and love and grace over them. You're taking literally them, you're that person, and you're putting them on your back. Can I get an amen? That's how powerful prayer is. And when you do that, God moves. God works. And you have the power to do that. I want to leave you with some hope today. Look at Matthew 16, 19. And this is Jesus. Look, look what Jesus says. He has given you and me and the church the power to do it. It says, and I will give you the keys, he said, to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose will be loosed in heaven. You have the power to bind and loose. How do I tap into that power? Through prayer. You have the power. Ian didn't say that. Liberty Church didn't say that. Jesus said that. If you disagree or don't believe, take it up with him. If you can have faith, you can bind things in heavenly places and loose things from heavenly places. And if we could have the power and faith enough to pray, you have the power to protect and help the powerless. Guess who's powerless? The lost. They need somebody praying that they make it to that place. A road to Damascus moment. Paul was killing Christians. Literally killing Christians. He had a moment of clarity where God met him. What did he do? Now he's, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. If God could do that for him, he can save the lost. You better believe it. Amen? Amen. Y'all join me in prayer as we close. So as we talked about the lost world today, <clears throat> if you are born again, you're in relationship with God. Jesus has a say in your life, where you go, where you don't go, what you say. You're in relationship with God. You're born again. You were lost, now you're found. I want you right now to pray for the lost. Maybe you want to start praying for a name you put on that card or all those names you put on that card. Right now, I want you to do that. But if you're here in the sanctuary or watching this online, either or, and you say, Pastor Ian, what you were talking about today, that's me. I'm, I'm that lost person. I'm that lost sheep. I'm that lost coin. I've been mishandled, I've been hurt, the world's beat me up, chewed me up and spit me out, and I need help. 
I need help from God. That's why I'm here. I need, I need help. That's okay. You're in the right place. We just read it. Jesus said he didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. So if you need help, I got good news for you. Your moment's come. I want you to do something for me. If God is dealing with your heart, if he's speaking to you right now, if he's showing you that you and him are not on good terms, I want to change that. I want you to do something super simple for me. No one's looking at you. We're actually praying for you right now. What I want you to do is I want you just to stand up right now all across this place. Stand up. Praise God. There are people standing. Hallelujah. I want you to know, just focus on him and listen to my voice if you're standing. I want you to know God loves you. He knows your name. He knows your struggles. He knows everything about you, what's going on. And you better believe they're throwing a party in heaven right now. We're throwing a party in Liberty Church. Amen. Amen. A lost coin found today in Jesus' name. I want to lead us all in a prayer. Let's say it together. Let's go like this. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We trust you. And we believe your son died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. I confess that Jesus is Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my past. And send your Holy Spirit to redeem my future. Pray this in faith and in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Y'all may be seated. Amen. Somebody give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Man, that's so awesome. That's why we do what we do. Amen? So awesome. Well, who's glad you came to church? Yeah, we're glad you came too, okay? Can we get the lights to come on? There we go. Uh, we're glad you came too, all right? We love you very much. Y'all are dismissed. Y'all come back and see us next week, all right? Have a good, safe, cold Sunday.